Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Jim Cobray. Does anybody remember, we'll pick up at the last point, but do you remember how the play, if you were here last week, the last point they did, they had a production, and they, this little play takes place, and it was a phenomenal expression about what's happening. You see this lady, she runs to Jesus, she gets saved, she's excited, she's alive, she's just thrilled with Jesus, and they're having a great time, and he shows the word of God to her, and then all of a sudden, here comes Satan, here comes the devil, and he lures her away, which so many people, you know, in life, that, that, that takes place. He lures her the, away. She goes and follows him, becomes his puppet for a while. And then finally she is called back, and she gets back, if you remember the play, back to Jesus. Did you know from that point on, an amazing thing happened? Usually in almost every church in America, that's where the play would stop, but not here. If you remember, she comes back to Jesus. Usually everybody's clapping. Yay, yay, she's back with Jesus. That's fine. Oh, how wonderful. But then you saw something that I've never seen before in a church. I saw the play that described the word of God. Now, here's what happened. Jesus teaches her about the word of God. Being the, remember this? Does anybody remember this? The sword of the spirit. And he sends her back out to defeat the devil. Now, listen to what I'm going to say to you. The battle is Jesus, but he fights the battle through you. And if you don't know that, then what's happening, you will always wait for Jesus to get in and rescue you. Paul the Apostle comes along. He's tormented by the devil. And Paul the Apostle, you know who he is. Guy, come on, guys. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He would have some clout with God, wouldn't you think? You would think that he has some inway with God and God is going to answer his prayers for sure. Two-thirds of the New Testament. So he goes before God and he says, God, I need you to help me. This thing is just on me constantly. And God comes to him and says, you know what, Paul? In, my, in your weakness, I'm made strong. And he says, my grace is sufficient. He never took him out of the problem, but made him victorious through the problem. Is anybody listening? And when you're, well, this is what I'm going to say to you. When you have a problem, a demonic oppression, a suppression that wants to come and stop your life, and what most people that attend American churches do is they go to God, bellyache and bawl and squall and say, God, where are you? Why have you done this? Why did you even do this to me? Why do you let this happen in my life? Not realizing God's probably yelling back, but I gave you the instruments. I gave you the tools. I gave you the power. You defeat the devil, you know? And so when I was a young man in my 30s, I was preaching the gospel and I, I ran across some truths in the word of God as a young man. I saw that there was a lot being said about warfare and spiritual warfare and how we are soldiers that are enlisted in the army of God. I saw about the devil. I saw about Satan. I saw that in the scriptures. Old Testament as well as New Testament, it's, 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 it's amazing. And so I would go to these pastors' conferences and pastors' uh, you know, gatherings, and we would talk and everything like that. And I'd ask questions to these pastors. Do you preach about the warfare? Do you tell the people about where the devil is and how to deal with him? And they'd say, no, we don't. And I'd say, how come? 
And they said, well, because we don't give him any place in our church. He's a defeated foe. And I would say, okay, he's defeated. We know that Jesus beat him up on the cross and defeated him 100%. But you know what? He's still loosed on earth and he's still putting pressure on me and he's still putting pressure on the church. And I want to know why it says so many times in scripture and they couldn't give me an answer. Most, let me spell it for you so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Most, M-O-S-T. Most churches in America never talk about the subject that you're going to hear today at the Rock Church and World Outreach Center because they don't understand that there are people out there that are in wanting to be used by God to defeat every enemy that comes at them. If you've ever had pressure on you, trials, tribulations, evil temptation, have you ever wondered where those strong Christians were three or four years ago but are no longer in church today? Why? Because they didn't know how to battle the enemy to keep on going to bring the victory to their life. Is anybody listening? I found out, now listen to this. Tell me just out of, just what you think about this. I found out that almost 300 times, so let's say it again so that you'll misunderstand. Almost 300 times in the New Testament, in the New Testament, not the Old Testament, I never counted that. In the New Testament, almost 300 times the name of Satan, devil, principalities are used in scripture. Not including warfare, your battle, you're a soldier, all those other stories, all about w- spiritual warfare. Never mentioning it in churches would be nothing more than leaving the people of God to pray for the devil. Because the devil doesn't want anything else to do with you not to believe that he's real. So you don't do anything about how he tears up your family, tears up your home, tears up your finances, tears up your children, runs them all off. He wants you to believe that he is uh, already defeated. If he's defeated in this area of my personal life, then why is he tormenting so many of us? And why do we let him? Because we don't know what to do. And so the subject is a subject that a lot of people get irritated at because they have been told you don't talk about that subject in church when it's absolutely silly. If God talks about it over 300 times, by the way, I think he talks about grace less than he does uh, spiritual warfare. And yet we don't have a problem teaching grace. The people need to know how to fight this battle. God never loses, but he fights the battle through you. And if you don't know how to fight it, you'll get beat up from pillar to post. You'll lose your marriages, you lose your wife, your husband, you lose your children, you lose your finances, jobs, vision. All he wants to do is destroy you when you proclaim that you are a Christian living for Christ. And so it's so important for us to understand these stories. So last week, Pastor Dan started out with some wonderful scripture found in the Word of God, if you will. And I wanted to go there, and let's just start out real quick, and then we're going to come back. In Acts, the 13th chapter, let's take a look at two verses in Acts, the 13th chapter. Verse number 9 and verse number 10. And then I'm going to come back and make some statements to you, if I may. Acts, the 13th chapter. Verse number nine, you remember that Pastor Dan was reading this to you last week, and this is where he got that spiritual oppression and where it really takes place and we understand it. It says this, and Saul, who is also called Paul, this is Paul the apostle, remember this? And he says this word, filled with the Holy Spirit, 
looked intensely at him. Who did he look intensely at? A guy, if you remember, by the name of Elymas. Elymas was his name. So here is Paul. Stop right there. Look back up at me so you can understand what's taking place. Paul has recognized something. How many times do we live as Christians and we don't recognize what a problem is? We let it exist without taking the authority of God and doing something with it. And our families get destroyed. And here he comes along. He immediately, he doesn't call the guy Elymas, which is his name. He didn't say, hey, Elymas. He didn't call him that at all. Listen to what he calls him. Paul intensely looks at him. So he's given him this eye. You know what intense means? Uh, the evil. Have you ever seen, I don't know, maybe when you were in school and you walk by a group of people and the guys are like oh, checking you out, they're giving you the eye. This is what Paul's doing right here. He's giving him the evil eye. Watch this, verse number 10. Kind of cool. And he didn't call him his name. He says, and oh, full of all deceit, and all fraud. His name is full of all deceit and all fraud. Then Paul sees him, recognizes him, and makes this statement, you son of the devil. In San Bernardino language, that is a son of a woman dog. And, that, and, and that's exactly what he did. He just cussed at him, if you really want to know. He said the hardest, toughest thing that he could say, you son of a dog, no, you son of the devil. Son of the devil's worse than son of a dog. You know what I'm talking, anybody know what I'm talking about? And don't, can I just say this to you? Don't act innocent with me like, oh, the preacher said that. Why don't you stop watching television, you big hypocrite, if that bothers you. You know you hear worse than that on television, you know? Let's say it like it really is. Man, this guy's cussing him out right now. And here's Paul, he recognizes, you enemy of all righteousness, you're never gonna stop. The, the, what you need to do, stop doing the ways of God. You're, you're an enemy of righteousness, you're the son of the devil. And sometimes we don't even recognize when there's a problem coming at us. We don't realize who the enemy really is. We may have a problem, we may see things fail and fall, but we don't realize who the enemy is. Let's at least get a little bit smarter to recognizing where the problem is that you're facing right now and the pressures of your life, is that okay? Every day in all of our lives, we have pressures. And a lot of people don't even know they're in a war, and let alone what to do about the war. Let me just take you to another verse. And, and I love this because Pastor Dan talked about it last week. Let's talk about it just for a moment. In James, the fourth chapter, go with me to verse number seven. In verse number six, it says about how to be humble. Humble is dependent on God. If you're humble, that means you're out of yourself and you're on God. Whoever's the most dependent is the most humble. Humble means somebody that says, I'm not doing it myself, but God is going to do this. Because without God, I can't do it. That's humility, by the way. That's a description of humility. So here we find in James, the fourth chapter, verse number seven. Therefore, submit to God. How do you submit? Because you're humble. You're dependent on God. It's not about what smart you are, not about how powerful you are, it's not about how clever you are, not about how cool you are, it's simply because you submitted to God in his ways in order to do something. He says, submit to God, resist the, what's the word? Wait a minute, resist the what? 
the way I, I did, I, 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 I mean, I, you know, when you get old, you kind of lose your hearing a little bit. So I might not have heard you very good, but resist the what? Well, I want you to know something. I didn't write this, and it's all through Scripture. And yet we're not being taught in the churches how to deal with him. So he makes a clear-cut statement. you got to be humble. Then, number one, submit to the ways of God. And then it comes along, the second thing is resist him. And he will do what? Flee. Resist him and he's gone. Resist him and keep on resisting until you get results. Resist him and he'll flee. And it's so important for us to see these two simple principles. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. The problem is in the word submission to God and the word resist. Most people don't know how to resist. Here's how most people resist. They yell at the devil. They hate the devil. They use high school words about the devil. You know, you dirty, none of that works. The devil just loves every second of it. Nothing is going to work. You being angry, you expressing your pain, you expressing your need. One woman says, I've resisted the devil. I've got something good going. I said, what is it? How'd you do that? She says, I've decided to have a pact with him. You know, he leaves me alone. I'll leave him alone. Good luck with that one, girl. <laughs> I never saw her again. She just prayed for the devil. You know, he's coming along. He's going to pray on her. He's going to lie to her and pray on her. You're nothing to do. The only way you're going to win these battles of pressure is you're going to win them by doing what God says, by submitting to God, being humble, and then learning how to resist him. It's very important to learn how. Someone said to me one time, why doesn't God just eliminate the devil? Then we won't have any problems. Can you imagine what the church would be like if there were no pressures and no problems in their life. Well, nobody would go to church. You know, I have a hard time getting them into church right now, let alone when there's no problems and they're filled with the things of the world. I mean, nobody go to church. But let me give you a better illustration of what takes place when there's pressure on your life. If you take two lumps of coal, coal, C-O-A-L, coal. They both got to be coal because of heat. That's how it works. One changes from coal to a diamond because of pressure. They both have the heat. It's only the pressure that takes a lump of coal and makes it a diamond. And everything in the kingdom of man and the world today speaks of the operations of God. You can see God said, and says it right at the end of Romans first chapter. And so all of these things we learn, it was through pressure that the coal became valuable. And you'll find it's the same thing with God. Pressure builds your character that helps you to stay in with things of God. You start to recognize what's God and what isn't God. You start to apply the right process, if you will, back instead of being processed yourself. You start to do the things that God has you to do. You become a sharper, greater, stronger Christian by coming and learning about how to deal with things. And the pressure that's going to be there is going to make you like a diamond. And a lot of times 
We need the pressure in order for us to be what God would have us to be. It builds the character that keeps our faith in line and with God and the things of God. Oftentimes we learn from problems. Now the Bible makes it very clear that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That's what it says in Romans 8th chapter. All things, not some things, good, bad, indifferent, pressures, everything that ever happens in your life, if you're called according to his purpose, in other words, you're living your life according to what he wants you to live like, his plan, his will, not your plan, your will, but you're giving your heart wholeheartedly over to Jesus Christ and you're trying to learn his desires and trying to please him with your life, all things work out to the good. Let me give you an illustration of that. I was a young man in my 20s. I married a woman. I didn't marry her because I was stupid. I fell in love with her, got married. Um, she ran off with some other guy. Broke my heart. I mean, I felt really bad. I never divorced anybody, but she divorced me. Broke my heart. So she goes to New York. She's going to be a top model in New York, and she falls short of that. And she comes back. She said she wants to get married again. Married her second time. Same woman. Man, am I stupid. She ran off somebody else. And then third time she came back saying, I'm not doing this. No, this is not going to be me. I'm, I'm dumb for marrying you the second time. I'm not that dumb. But I married somebody else. Married her for 58 days. Third marriage. Married one woman twice. Married, married this other woman 58 days. She threw me out. I never knew the reason why she threw me out. She just did. I didn't divorce anybody. I didn't think I was a bad husband. I thought I was a good man. But all of a sudden, my whole world changed. Let me say something to you young people now. You don't understand what it was like 45 years ago, 50 years ago, to have a divorce. You were the out of the entire society. I went to church. I went into a church and asked, God in my heart and got born again. I was excited. They found out about my three divorces and threw me out of the church. I was no longer accepted in the church. My heart was broken. I had now thought I lost God. But you know, my Bible says what your Bible says. All things work together for the good of them. Love the Lord and call according to his purpose. I somehow, by the grace of God, stayed in there. The rest of them failed, all of them miserably. But I stayed in with God. And when I stayed in with God, I want you to know something. God brought me my little Debbie. And I'm telling you, she's a mouthy little thing, but I sure love her a lot. She, you know, like she preached last Wednesday night, that's my coffee in the morning. It's like, God, woman, I just got out of bed. I don't want to talk about some great revelation that God gave you in the middle of the night. I just want to drink this coffee here. I'm going to pour some in my face to wake up. My goodness sakes, I mean, the woman is a preaching machine. And here we are. Listen to this. 43 years, 44 years later, four kids, all preaching. Listen, hold on. All preaching the gospel, 13 grandchildren, some of them already pastors, the rest developing to become leaders. 10 grandsons, hello. Oh, wait a minute, I just had my 11th. 11th grandson, we're, we're gonna preach to the whole world, this family. All things work together for the, at the time of the divorce, I would have wanted, I wanted to just kill myself. Ever been there? Don't admit to you have. Oh, only people on the camera. And, uh, no, but nobody else admitted. 
You know, I wanted to kill myself because I thought my life was over. It's not over. You got to learn how to fight and stay in there. Resist the devil. You got to learn how to resist him and he will flee. Come on, somebody. Here's, here's, here's some beautiful things in the word of God. Go with me, if you will. Pastor Dan shared this out of 2 Timothy, the third chapter, verse number 12, about each and every one of us, and I just love this. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, it says this. Yes. And all who desire to live godly. Stop. Look back up at me. All who desire to live godly. I, you would not be in this room if you did not desire to live godly. Am I right? If I asked you to raise your hand, if you desire to live godly, wouldn't you want God in your home? Wouldn't you want God in your family? Don't you want God in your marriage? Don't you want God in your finances? Don't you want God in your church? Don't you want God in your relatives? Don't you want God? Don't you want to live godly? Yes, yes, pastor, I do, I do, I do. But here's what it says. He says, well, desire to live godly in Christ Jesus might suffer persecution could suffer persecution. It says, will suffer persecution. Oh my goodness. The pressure is gonna be on. You can go to the bank on that. And you need to know how to deal with it. Your marriage will have pressure. Between wife and husband will have pressure. Children will bring pressure. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, your boss brings pressure. I mean, gosh, pressure constantly. Fine. Anybody ever looked at your checkbook and get pressure? <laughs> pressure all the time. From every area, you've got to know how to deal with it. Because if you learn how to resist him, that's what's important. Verse, um, if you will, while you're there in 2 Timothy, just for fun, 2 Timothy, the second chapter, verses th 2 and 3. All right, let's, let's look at it together. In fact, let's look at 3 and 4. Uh, for, uh, first, 2 Timothy the th uh, second chapter, verses three and four. He says, you therefore must, you therefore must, you therefore must, it, you must do something. And the word is what? Endure. If you're not gonna endure, then you're going to what? lose. He that endures to the end shall be saved. And so you must endure hardship. Oh, I hate that word hardship. I can endure fun things, fun times, hardships. And as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness. He uses the word endure hardship as a soldier. I didn't say that. God called you a soldier. When you got born again, you're in a war. You better know that. There's pressures coming. If you ever wonder whatever happened to those people that used to go to church, they didn't know how to handle the pressure because someone never taught them. So when the pressure came, it ran them off. That's what happened. So here we find you must endure. But I like verse number four. Watch verse four, just for fun. It says, no one engaged in warfare. Engaged in what? Warfare. Engaged in what? Warfare. 
There's a war going on and most people that call themselves Christians don't even know what it's about. He's after you and your family. He's gonna try to back you off from your commitments to Christ by making things tough in your life. But if you know how to endure the hardships or resist the devil, he will do what? Flee. And then he comes along and he says, he says, engage in warfare, uh, entangles himself with the affairs of the world. You're going to be wrapped up in worldly ways and worldly ideas and worldly things won't be long for the world sucks you right out. You can't get there. He says that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Who's the him? Notice the capital H up there. Well, there should have been a capital H right there. He will please him. Uh, it should be a capital H because that him is Jesus Christ who enlisted you as a soldier. My goodness, my friends, this is very important. About five years ago, most of you know this, so I'm gonna share it with you anyway. Um, I had a failed back surgery. Uh, I'm in pain 24 seven, every day, every moment of my life. I toss and turn for about a half an hour and 45 minutes every night before I can fall asleep just to find a spot comfortable enough where the pain has subsided a bit so that I, I can sleep every night. When I walk, you've probably noticed, I walk pretty, pretty stiff. I'm in a lot of pain. I got an email after I taught last weekend, a couple weeks ago, from a friend of mine on the East Coast. And he said, I loved your message. Just want you to know I really got a lot of it. And then he said, man, I could tell by the way you were walking that you are in a lot of pain. He knows me well. And I emailed him back. I said these words. I am. I'm in a lot of pain. But I'm not defeated. And that's the difference. There's a day coming when God's going to touch me and I'm going to walk normal and strong. That's my hope. Now listen to me. In the meantime, he stops me not from doing what God's told me to do. Last time I was with you a couple of weeks ago, I taught and I taught and I went, it was like an amazing morning. I'll just tell you because we have a little bit of time. I, I, tell you, I had an amazing morning because I had no pills in me or nothing. I came to church, I preached both messages and I went, wow, God, that is great. You heal me. Next day I woke up and I said to God, I said, God, let me tell you something. That's just not fair. When I'm in the pulpit, you heal me. When I'm home, you don't. And God said, my grace is sufficient. You know, and I started saying that out loud. My grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace, and it strengthens me with what we're talking about. And that's what we've been talking about. Go with me to Ephesians. Ephesians, the, if you will, the sixth chapter of Ephesians, and we'll start with verse number 10. In the sixth chapter of Ephesians, verse 10, watch this, watch this. He's gonna show you what to do to resist the devil and how to win your battles. You say, Pastor Jim, you're still in pain. Yes, but I've won already. Yeah. It's just a matter of time before it manifests. I've already won. I mean, you get up here and do this. And you're like, what, 20? So my goodness, come on. I've already won the battle. It's just a matter of time. Now listen to what I'm gonna say to you. Because as we get into these scriptures, I'm gonna to describe to you in a few moments 
The armor that God says in this war that you're in, that you need to put on in order for you to win the battle and resist properly the devil. And most of it's not physical at all. All of it is mental and spiritual. So it's a real easy battle to put them on, but you got to do it. And a lot of times people don't do it. Let's start in verse number 10 because it makes it really clear that we have an assignment from God. Verse number 10 says this, finally, my brother, be what? Oh, come on. Are we alone in this place? Uh, uh, finally, my brother, and be what? I mean, he doesn't want you to be weak. He wants you to be strong. I mean, there's a choice. I could sit down. I can lay down. I can moan and groan. Debbie loves me enough to serve me. I kind of like that. Sometimes I do groan a little bit, so she does. Oh, baby, could you get me a little something? I'm thinking, oh, I shouldn't do that. That's really wrong. But she does serve me that way. And I don't tell her that because I kind of like that, you know. And she said, so, but, I, but it says, be strong. But my strength is not in myself. And when your strength is in yourself, man, then all of a sudden you don't need God. It's whether you can do it. I'm here to tell you something. You are no match for the devil. Except if God is your strength. Then you become the overcomer. More than a conqueror, according to the scripture. But by yourself, you're going to lose. And that's what we're learning to do. It's learning how to do this. Be strong in the Lord. And then he comes along and he says, in the power of his might. It's not my might, it's his might that's going to get the job. It's his might that makes the job work. It's his might that makes this all happen. And get off myself, get off what I think, get off everything else, and get on him is what he's saying. Because if you're going to win the battle, it is not about you winning the battle, being tough. It's about God being tough into, through you and you letting him out. And then he comes along in this next verse, verse number 11. Put on the whole armor of God that... And, and notice how he says, no, we're talking about weapons. We're talking about armor. God's talking about equipping you. Can you imagine going into war? The United States Army gives you a uniform, never tells you how to put it on, which way to wear it. Gives you boots that, you know, don't match, don't work. Gives you a gun that you don't know how to handle. And sends you off to battle. Did you know there are people throughout centuries that have gone off to fight wars without being equipped? without being equipped at all, horrible. But God's not horrible. He equips you. And he talks about the armor of God. Put on the whole armor, not of yourself, but of God. That you may be able to stand. Here's that word, stand again. God wants us to stand, not lay down, not sit, not just relax, not just to get by, not to get comfortable, but to stand against the craziness of the, and here's another word, of the what? Of the devil. Come on, somebody. This is a real, live, legitimate battle you're in. And if you don't fight this battle the right way, somebody needs to love you enough, respect you enough, honor you enough to tell you the truth. This is where you're going to fail in life. He's going to come after you and get you because you're going to try to defend yourself by your own intelligence. And it doesn't work that way. Or your own abilities. And it doesn't work that way. Verse number 12. He says this, For we do not wrestle. And he says, Listen, this is not a, a, a battle of flesh. We don't all wrestle with flesh and blood. This is not, you know, your neighbor, your boss. This is not some enemy out there. It's demonic that's behind it, that's coming against it. I mean, you use people, but it's not the people. It's demonic coming against you. 
It's a demonic spirit coming against that husband or a demonic spirit coming against that wife. It's a demonic spirit coming against those children. It's a demonic, you need to get in there and realize the war is not with them. The war is in the spirit realm. And that's what he just says. But against, now he just, listen, now he defines for you, if you will, the, the classifications of demonic spirits. Generals, colonels, majors, lieutenants, sergeants, privates. It's all formalized in these verses. He says, here's your battle against principalities, powers against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual host and wickedness in heavenly places. If you said this to the world, they would say, you're nuts. Go take some medicine. You're seeing the wrong things. It's crazy. But it's in the Bible. And the devil wants you to believe it shouldn't be in the Bible. And it's not real. I'm just reading Bible to you. If it's there, should it not be important? If it's love, we, and it says it in the Bible, we believe it. If it's faith, we believe it. If it's Christ, we believe it. You start talking about the activities of the devil, oh, not sure, you need to take some medicine. You cannot medicate a demon. Against principalities in the heavenly places, verse number 13. Therefore, because of what he just said, the word therefore means now that I've said that, here's what to do. Take up the whole armor of God. Wait a minute, didn't he just say that? Anytime you see that in three verses, the same thing repeating itself, he's obviously making a statement that's very important. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. In other words, he wants you to stand and not give up in the evil day. He says, having done all, having done all, not some, not a little bit, not just passing it on, or fighting this fight when it happens. You gotta learn how to do it before it happens so that you are ready and equipped to when it happens, man, you are ready to tell the devil where to go. And he comes along and he says, he says these words, and having done all, to stand. Man, how many times have we heard that? Well, look at the very first word of the next verse, verse 14. Stand. Therefore, I mean, you can't fight sitting down, tripping, laying down. You got to get up and fight. You know, I, I tell you, it's, have you ever noticed when somebody's in submission to somebody else, they make them bow? And so he always wants you down. You need to fight and stand. And then he tells you about the spiritual weapons to put on, which I found fascinating. One of the things is he says this, having gird your waist with truth, you ought to circle that in your Bible. To gird your waist means to wrap around yourself like a belt that holds everything in place. Now, I have a belt on underneath the shirt and I have a belt on for a reason because if I didn't have a belt on, my pants would fall down. And the only one that would like that would be Deborah. The rest of you would get sick. And I happen to be an old white man, which old white men get big bellies and no butts. So I have to have a belt on. Are you listening to me? I at least admit it, guys. Uh, the white guys don't have any butts at all. 
And so, and does that offend you that I say that? Gosh, turn your television in. It's just ridiculous. Uh, so I have nobody. So if I don't wear a belt, it, 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 so here's it. Gird yourself around with truth. Around you is a belt. Because if your armor falls down around your legs, you can't fight, nor can you stand. So what happens is I've got truth that I live my life by. And wherever I go, this way, this way, this way, this way, truth goes with me. God's word is truth. Not what the, oh, wait a minute. God's word is truth. Not what the world says is true. I don't care how many people in the world tell you what's true. They don't know what truth is. The only truth there is is God's word. That's why he says every knee will bow. They're not going to stand before God. Come on, somebody. He's got truth. The word of God makes it very good. So everywhere I go, everything I do is all about truth. My whole life is about truth. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting this spiritual battle right now. The second thing comes along and he says this, having girded around with true truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does a breastplate cover? I'm sucking in my stomach now. It covers the chest. What's in the chest? The heart. A breastplate protects the heart. In other words, you're going to have to work at protecting your heart, not letting your heart get weary in, in the battle. Listen, I can give up any day and say, I've been there for five years. But then I read my Bible and find out about David. How long was he running from Saul? I can read my Bible and find out about Joseph. How long was he thrown in prison before that which God promised him came to pass? One after another, after another, after another, after another, stood a whole lot longer than I have so in a whole lot longer than you ever have. And I'm here to tell you something. We keep standing because we got truth and we got our hearts protected, protected with the things of God. Comes along and he makes this statement, verse number 15. Having our, I like this, shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What does that mean? Peace is such an interesting thing. You know, when I have peace, I just have a rest. I just know that everything is good, that God's in control. I'm prepared always to live my life in peace. When I was a young man, Debbie and I were preaching, I was preaching 11 times a week. Most pastors preach 50 times a week, but our church was exploding. We had 11 services a week. We had 24,000 people in church. And uh, I had to teach 11 times a week. Most pastors preach 50 times a year. I was preaching 350 times a year. And my mind, I knew I needed to whatever time I had off to do something. So Debbie and I took up a hobby that we both could do. We learned how to sail. I, I found that when I got in a sailboat and went deep out into the ocean where I couldn't see land, there wasn't any funerals to do or children dying or people leaving or uh, ugly stuff. I just, just clear my brain. Sometimes you go home from work and you don't want to think about work. You just, and that's me. I also, I had to keep myself healthy. We learned how to sail. 
And I remember Debbie being taught how to sail. Uh, that was a real experience because she has a hard time with what's right, left, and, and let alone north, south, and east. I mean, give me a break here. We're, I mean, it was like, Debbie, go that way. She said, what does that mean? I'm pointing to it. Uh, you know, so uh, that was a trip in itself and a joy. But Debbie was learning how to sail, and she became a pretty good sailor. She asked our captain one time, we had a captain teaching us how to sail. She says, what's the most important thing that I should learn from you? He looked at her and he says, that's easy. Don't panic. He says, when you panic, you can't think. But when you're at peace, you can clearly hear and get directions and follow what you need to do to get the job done. And most people fail because of panic. And God wants us to prepare ourselves with a gospel of peace. Jesus said, I'll give you peace that surpasses understanding. His peace. Oh, God. Come on. Uh, so I'm under pressure. I got his peace that brings me back to reality and helps me to think straight. That's what he's telling. Remember, all this is equipping myself. Gospel of peace. Verse number 16 comes along, and it says this. Above all. When he says above all, he means above what? All. All that we've said so far, this is most important. Hold up your shield of faith. A shield of faith means this, that I've got a shield in my weaponry. It's something that stops the enemy from coming at me and defeating me. It's something that stops the enemy from stabbing me or hurting me. And he makes this statement, hold up the shield, which is able to quench every fiery dart. You ever wondered what a fiery dart is? Have you ever been believing God for something and then some thought comes in your mind and the thought says, what if? I know somebody who was that way and they didn't. Someone comes and tells you, well, you know, you, you're gonna fail, they failed. What makes you any different than them? How are you gonna make it? Look at your checkbook, it's not gonna work. And all of a sudden your heart gets weakened. Remember, you got the breastplate of righteousness that you're supposed to guard that heart, but all of a sudden you're letting it in because it's a fiery dart. And all of a sudden depression comes and discouragement comes and enough of them get through, you won't last. But in order to stop them from coming, I hold up faith. Yes, it may say that, but I don't listen to that. I'm listening to what God says about this. So important for us to hear this. Hold up that shield of faith that stops all of these things that want to knock you off your feet. Come on, last two. Here it is, in verse number 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. The helmet of salvation. What's the helmet cover? What part of the body? The what? Wait a minute, I'm not alone in here today. Is that okay? Uh, helmet covers what part of the body? The head. What's inside the head? The brain. Most of your battles will be in your mind. He, he knows how to tell you things and, and influence you and your thinking. It's mostly a battle in the minds. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, uh, excuse me, the fifth chapter, verse number three through 10, it says these words, cast down imaginations. That ex that's here, that imagination's here, that exalt themselves above the word of God. Cast them down. And he says, bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of what Christ says, what God says. That's what it says. And here he tells us that we need to protect ourselves. And then right along with it, he says this, 
and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Use the Word of God. Devil, I'm telling you now, I'm blood-bought, Bible-believing, blood-washed Christian, born of the Spirit of God and filled with the Holy Ghost. I have a family. I've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You have nothing to say over my life. You never paid for my life at all. I'm born again, Spirit-filled. I'm a believer in Christ Jesus. The Bible says all things are possible to him that believes. Nothing is impossible to him that believes. And I, you, the Spirit of God just strengthens me on every area of my life. He goes before me, opening doors no man can open. He follows me, no man can close. The mercy of God follows me wherever I go. Devil, you have, that's the Word of God. And the, let me tell you what the Word of God does. The Word of God does not activate God. He already is activated. Right. You don't have to hype God up to get this done. The Word of God activates you. All of a sudden, you start making statements like that. When the other day I got up uh, and I, I just, I crumbled and I didn't let out a scream, but I wanted to scream. I didn't want Debbie to panic because of the pain that was running through my back. And I wanted to scream and, and I didn't. And, and, and I, I, I started saying, God, your grace is sufficient for me. Your word is all I need. You said, I'm healed by the stripes of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pain just got worse. But I believe your word. Eventually, it was just passed right on by. Let me tell you something. I'm, I'm going to get there, and you're going to get there, too. It may be a fight today, but tomorrow, we're going to have a win on our side completely. Come on, somebody. So he tells us to do this. And I love this next one. Verse number 18 tells us to pray. He says, take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Verse number 18, let's put up 18, please. And 18, it says, praying always with all supplication. See the word supplication up there? It means you twist yourself with what God says. It's like a three-cord rope that twists around each other, and all of a sudden the rope gets stronger. And that's really the intense the depth of the word supplication is a twisting around who God is and what God says. When you twist yourself around God, man, you got the belt of truth on, you got your helmet of salvation, you got your sword up good, you got your shield of faith going on, man, you are walking in the things of God, you're protecting your heart, the whole thing, and guess what? You end up winning the battle. That's what this is all about. Let me tell you something now, saints. You're in a battle. Sit there and let the devil knock the snot out of you or get in the war and kick the crap out of the devil because you have the ability in Christ to do it. Somebody ought to give me a great big amen. So true, so true, so true. If you got something from God today, come on, give the Lord a great big praise. You know, even if you know this and you heard this and you taught this, I've taught this in schools and colleges everywhere. I've been all over the world teaching these things. Every time I listen to it, I get stronger. I need to hear it over and over because I'm like you. I forget. You know, I forget and I start belly aching. Oh, God, when is this going to happen? Oh, come on. Slap yourself and get in the word of God. Amen. Now think about it like this. If you got something from God today and you stayed home today, you wouldn't have got it. 
The fact that you got something because you made the effort to get close to God and you came to church and I applaud you for it. Come on, so. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.